Jeff, welcome back to another Darko Audio Tone Audio Collaborative Podcast. It's great to uh, be here, sir. <laughs> should we? Can I start by being very British and tell you that it's we're in the middle of a heat wave here in Europe, and it's it's almost in your numbers, almost ninety degrees here right now. That's pretty hot. And, and I'm telling, yeah, it's pretty warm. And I'm, it's not—I know it's not Arizona warm, but I'm telling you this because if you can hear a slight hum, it's because I've got my air conditioner on behind me in night mode, night mode, just the just the lowest level, because there's no way I'm going to sit here and boil in my own juices. Anyway, so before we get stuck into um, the topics for this week, I thought I'd share with you, um, and I know you have some thoughts on this matter. For the, for the first time in ten years, Jeff. I bought a new laptop a couple of weeks ago, and I've only just okay. Box, right, and for the first time in ten years, I am. I did not buy a Mac. I bought. Ah. I bought a Microsoft Surface Book Two. Those are really cool. Very cool. I'm not crash hot with on Windows, but I got to the point where I could not deal with the Mac hardware anymore. I love their software. Their operating system, I think, is far superior. But the keyboards on the new MacBook. Pros or whatever they called those the, the MacBooks, right? Even even though they, I know that um, Apple have just you know released a series where that they've got this sort of rubber lining to fix the keyboard. It's still it's that low travel keyboard that almost doesn't move when you click on it. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Don't like that. Don't like the fact that there's no MagSafe power connector anymore. Everything's USB C, which I kind of get, but you know, oh, if you, I didn't so, know that. I really yeah. like that MagSafe connector. Right, because if you suddenly walk, you know, step right. on it, it just pulls off. And they do have some on the on all these Surface Pro products is a MagSafe equivalent. It's a magnetically Whoa. attached power cord. That so, sur that Surface is a cool. I mean, I honestly feel like, and I and I think when they first came out, I had written one of those up. And I, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I said as a long-term Mac guy, this thing, they kind of out-appled Apple on this in terms of a fit and functionality and all they of really that. Did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I bought a, a Surface Pro a few years ago, and I've got to admit I hardly ever use it. But I bought it for one reason. And that, I've, I've probably said this before. I bought it because of Rune. Because as soon as I saw Rune, I thought, I have to have a touchscreen something. And, right. I not just, right. and, and there was no iPad app at the time, so I bought this thing. Um, I don't, again, I don't love the Windows operating system. It's okay. Um, I much prefer Mac OS, but it's not terrible. It, it, it's getting better all the time. But one thing I found very interesting, Jeff, in making this transition, because we're rec I'm recording my, this, well, recording this podcast on my MacBook Air right now, my okay. old, right? And I've got my Surface Pro next to me, which I'm, I'm slowly sort of moving my life from one to the other. Okay. It takes a few, it takes a few weeks, right? But okay. what, one thing I have noticed is that the USB output on the Surface Book, to me, direct into a DAC, sounds better than the MacBook Air. Interesting. Yeah, I know there's always yeah there's all these differences between, you know, different transports, streamers, and I, I consider all of these things to be streamers to, to, to some degree. And oh, the yeah. the Microsoft computer, I think, sounds a little bit better, just a little bit. Interesting. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't really use them all that often for those sort of things anymore. But um, if anybody's wavering, thinking, "Oh, the Windows machine's not going to sound very good," I'm here to tell you, it doesn't sound terrible at all. It sounds really cool. So, huh. yeah. So I just thought I'd I'd, op I'd open with that. But well, and that's a that's a consideration because my MacBook Pro. I mean, I typically look at a computer as a consumable. 
So yes. I I think you buy a buy a Mac if you're a Mac person. You buy a Mac, you get Apple Care, and at about month 33, you start hunting for a new machine and either sell the other one, give it to a friend, you know, whatever. Mm. And that eliminates a lot of hardware problems if you just refresh the computer. And, mm. you know, seeing that you're recommending this and having such good luck, I, you know, I may head down that path as well because it's... Uh, I looked at the new MacBook Pro the other day, and I mean, it was almost $4,000. So the other interesting thing about this, me having, you know, in this process of moving, is that apart from Rune, the other piece of playback or audio file playback software I use is Audiovana. You know, oh, you know, okay. Right? You know, I don't know if you've ever used it. It's, um, it's a French software company. Well, it's one guy, really, Damien Plisson. And... It's pronounced Audivana, and I have a bit of um, a bug up my ass about this because I hear so many people pronounce it Audiovana or Audio Nirvana or whatever. It's Audivana. It's like Audivana, right? Got it. Anyway, it's audio file player for Mac and PC. Right. And the PC version, the Windows version, has only just come out this week. I mean, it's been in beta for a while, but I haven't used it just yet. But I'm so pleased that I can carry it across onto my new machine because okay. if, I, if I'm using, I'm just playing music in, in my office. Sometimes I won't use Rune, especially if I've just downloaded something from the net. I'll play it back through Audivana into a DAC. And this, for readers, for readers, for listeners that don't know about this software, yes, it sounds better than iTunes or Windows Media Player or even Fubar. Um, and the idea is that the, the software is coded to minimize the amount of computer activity going on whilst music is playing, therefore reducing electrical noise, therefore reducing the amount of electrical noise that goes down the USB cable into the deck. That was, you just answered my question. I was going to ask you, now, is it okay for me to lead into the Rune Nucleus with that comment that you just made? Oh, we, yes, we should talk about that. I mean... I mean, before <laughs> you caught me on the hop now, because I was going to ask you if you use anything other than Rune to play. Like, you know, when you're in your, in your office and you've got a big iMac or maybe you've got two iMacs in front of you. I do. Or maybe you've got seven iMacs, right? No, like I have, no honestly, <laughs> I have. Here's what I have in my office. I mm -hmm. have one big iMac running two monitors. Mm -hmm. And then I have a Mac I used to up until just recently. I had a Mac Mini running a 70-inch LG up above the two big monitors for email and Rune. And um, okay, I had my Mac Mini about 80% dedicated to Rune. And okay. then there's, um, there's three, yeah, there's three, now four Rune zones, the... Um, listening room one is a rune zone. Listening room two is a rune zone. Um, the house is a rune zone and the garage is a rune zone. Um, mm. so I'm real simple. I mean, I'm somebody, I, I, I don't like using, I mean, I, I, my hat is off to you for playing with all these different players and all this stuff. I mean, for me, I want simplicity. I just want to listen to music. So it's, oh, I'm a baby get that way. Don't get me wrong. All of my house is, is predominantly rune. Okay. But, uh, like to just sometimes when I'm not using it, if I'm going to go and use something else, I will use Audivana. And I was going to ask you if you did that or whether you're just always 100% rune all of the time. I'm always rune because inevitably 
earlier years years earlier when there were before rune really shook out and there were multiple there there were platforms then too mm. what i found for me because i'm i'm kind of a disorganized i'm kind of in an organizational nightmare i'm i'm trying to work through that but i'm organization <laughs> is not my strong suit and so what i found having multiple players and this and that it's like being in a three-story house the thing you're looking for is never on the floor that you're on so, you know, I'd be like, well, where's that, where's that bootleg copy of Kiss Alive 2? You know, it's not here. And so for me, just one, one platform has made my life a lot easier. Yeah, I, I do feel that. I mean, for me, yes, I can just pull up any device, my phone, my tablet, any computer, because they've all got Rune on them. And whatever I'm using at that time, I can use it to control music anywhere else in the house. Yes. Which is absolutely outstanding and i think that's you know that's i've i've made a video about this actually i haven't published it yet it's coming up this Ooh. week actually i should give a shout out to jana dagdagan who did the the video just the video editing for me now and okay. she did a, she did a bang up job on this video like it's it's really cool i'm, I'm very i'm to say i'm proud of it is kind of corny but i am a little bit and oh, so you should yeah, it shows it basically shows how i use rune in my house and it, it, the genesis of this video was the Rune Nucleus server arriving from the UK. So here is our segue, Jeff, into Rune Nucleus. Okay, <laughs> so perfect, perfect. Do you want Do you want to talk about this first? You want to go? Well, I guess the I guess the short version because I just started using one about a week ago, mm -hmm. um, and I'm definitely going to purchase it when I'm done with the review and. Mm -hmm. You know, hats off to our pal Dippin for taking care of all that and hooking me up. And, mm -hmm. you know, but it really does. I mean, the, the short form is that it I, I feel like this. If you if you have a fairly large music collection, you really need one of these because I don't know what your experience has been with Rune on a on a Mac or a PC. It's always been just a little bit pokey. But again, I've got about. I give or take, I've got about 12,000 CDs ripped on the NAS from mm. all the years. And then I've probably got about another four or 5,000 album titles um, as library things in Rune that I'm streaming from Tidal. So mm. it's, a, it's a fairly big collection. And usually, again, usually Pam's running Rune listening to music in her office. I'm listening to music out here. So we are, we are taxing it pretty hard. Mm. And what would happen is you'd get, you know, you'd start searching for something and you'd get a little bit of a lag, a little bit of a lag, and the lag's been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. And, but with the nucleus, it's just bam, it's, it's really fast and it's really quick and it was very easy to set up. So, I mean, I, and, and if, and if I understand the people at Rune correctly, the difference between the bigger one and the smaller one is just the smaller one is tailored to um, it's just processor capacity to a little bit smaller collection. Yeah. And the bigger one is for bigger collection. And for example, if you're now, are you using a nucleus? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, have you played around? Well, I don't think it matters with the nucleus. Have you played around with um, the DSP stuff with any of the headphones at all? Good question. I, I, yes, I have used the Odyssey presets, and so by by golly, they make a difference. I couldn't yes. believe it. Yeah, I, I could. I could not listen to a pair of Odyssey headphones without that DSP correction now. 
So that's another thing. If you're using the DSP on one zone while another person's listening to music on another zone, mm-hmm. that tends to tax just a regular computer too, where this thing is, you know, designed from the ground up. I mean, I, if mm-hmm. again, if I under if I'm understanding all this correctly, one of the reasons you want to use something like Audiovana or whatever that's called, you were saying. Oh. <laughs> Audiovana. Uh, Audiovana. If you're using, I can't do it either. If you're using Audiovana, that's that's maximizing the the computer to just do audio, whereas mm-hmm. the nucleus just does rune and just does audio. So well, I, I think we should explain this for the benefit of listeners as well. Is that yes, please. A rune n- nucleus is essentially just a server. So all you have to do is connect a hard drive full of music to it or point it at a NAS right. and it indexes the library and then serves that content plus title out to all your endpoints. Yes. And I, and I think it's also important to state that the Nucleus is not really designed to be USB connected to a DAC. I don't even know if you can do that. Yeah, you I mean, can I'm, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to investigate that later so okay. I haven't done that yet but they say you can go USB out yeah. you could go HDMI out or I mm. think here I'm looking at it right now mm. um, there's a let's see there's a yeah there's um, you can go HDMI out like if you have an AV receiver yeah you can go out that way and then there's a USB now there's another I forgot to ask them there's this little port that says rune that kind of looks like a USB C or something. They don't say what that does. I think it's, I think it's deactivated at the moment. I think I don't know. Okay. I mean, when I when I last spoke to the guys at Ruin, they said we're not, we're not we're not making any claims about the sound quality of this device. You can hook it into a DAC, but we're not going to talk about that. And so for me, Jeff, I, I just use it. I don't have mine connected to a DAC. It's just okay. in my kitchen serving content out to all the zones. Got um, it. Okay. And that's, that's how mine is right now. That's how mine's. Here's something interesting for you to consider, and I've, we, could, we could probably both do this, is okay. that you've, you've got a name Unity Atom, as have I. Does your Unity Atom have the HDMI input on the back? Because mine does. It must. I'll have to check. Because it was an optional extra. So I don't know. Not all of them do. Oh, I'll have to check. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll go back but, and I'll pull mine out and take a look. And but see. that's something. I mean, it's kind of a bit pointless because the Unity Atom can stream from every, every – it streams every goddamn which way. So like hooking a server into it is kind of a bit pointless, but if you want to, I guess if you want to see how it sounds, then that, that's interesting. Yeah, I'll have to, I'm going to invest. I mean, I, I guess I should investigate that as part of the review process, but. Mm. Um, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I mean, I, I, I'm just treating this as a server in and of itself. And I know that a lot of people will then look at the price of the rune nucleus as just a server and they'll go, well, I can build myself one, something like that for a lot less money and you can you absolutely can you can go and buy a nook and you can either install windows on it and then put rune on top of that but that's not really optimized software so rune have made a a custom linux which sits on the nucleus but they've made that available to anybody who wants to download the image and then install it to a nook device but it's a bit fiddly it's a little bit. See, but that's right. Again, and that's the. I, I mean, again, if I'm understanding this all correctly, mm. that's the point um, that you right. get this yes. thing, and it's not fiddly. Yes. And knowing the Rune guys for as long as I've known them, 
I can't say this. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't, because I didn't get a direct quote from them, I can't go ahead and just say this, but judging them on what they've done in the past, mm. I'm going to guess that they've built a little extra capacity into this thing for future upgrades, where if you just go build a computer, um, how are you ever going to know where I'm, I'm brainy as those guys at rune are I'm, mm. I'm guessing I'm going to guess that this thing's overbuilt. And so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put my lot in with that one. Well, not only that, not only is it probably over, over spec for what we need right now. So, it, you know, it, it could spec to, to cope with future versions of rune, but it's also built on the, the Nook platform is designed to this Intel platform designed to evolve over time. So the form factor doesn't change very much. So that then maybe in two years they can introduce a new nucleus with you know better hardware, but because it's built on the Nook platform, they don't have to retool the machinery that makes the case for it because it's that nice um, right. ribbed aluminium, you would say aluminum, aluminum case that I think also from an aesthetic point of view looks really, really cool. I like it too. Yeah, I think it's to me it looks like a little pass monoblock, you know. Um so. to me Actually, I, I did. I did mention this to the guys at Rune um, about yeah, nearly ten years ago. Philippe Stark, the French designer, yes. Right, yes, was commissioned to design some hard drives for Lacey. I had them. Right, I still kept the shells because they were for me the coolest hard drive shells I've ever used. I I've have just, them too. That's I've funny. Just, we're really geeks, man. Right. So, but the, the the there was like there was the one terabyte one, the two terabyte one, which were just the sort of I won't even say normal. It's like this metal box with a nice curved contoured mirrored front with yes. a little orange cross, right? That would tell you when it was yes, happening, right? Yes, that that was the standard version. But then they they had a four terabyte version, which at the time cost mega money, and it was it was in this ribbed chassis, very much like the Rune nucleus. And I'm not mentioning that because I think anybody's ripped anybody off. I I mentioned this because um, you know, like when I bought those lacy hard drives, probably like you, you're probably in the store and you go well. I can buy this Seagate, which is one terabyte, and it's going to cost me a hundred bucks. Or I could buy this cool-ass looking Lacy, which is twice the twice the twice the cash, two hundred bucks. But I was at a time in my life where, you know, I, as you get older, you kind of have more disposable income, and I thought I want the nice-looking product because that's going to house my music collection. It's going to be in some of my photos for my gear, and I thought I want that nice-looking product. So I spent the extra money on the nicer looking hard drive, even though functionally it was the same as the cheapest Seagate or Western Digital, right? Now, the the kind of analogy to the nuclear situation is, yeah, you can, you know, people are going to be looking at buying a Nook and installing Rock to it or buying a nucleus and it's just plug and play. It's the same situation. It's like, do you, you know, do you have the disposable income for this? Or you know, do you I, John, I don't even think it's that. I, I think it's something completely different. Um, this is my take on it. Um, and I see this in other worlds, um, you know, cars, other things. Everybody gets their joy from a different aspect of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And there are people 
that they really, 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 it's not about saving money because when you when you think about all the time you have to put into making your own thing, it end, it's like if you remodel a room in your house. Mm. You know, um, years ago when, 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 um, when I was still living with my ex, we decided to redo the back bathroom in the house. And mm. she decided we would do it ourselves to save money. Well, by the mm. time we got done, you know, the, the bathroom cost four times as much to do it ourselves as it did to have it done. But mm. I think there's a certain group of people that they, and I'm not making this a value judgment that they're better, worse, whatever. Mm. It's just a mindset. They really enjoy the process of making something. Yes. Well, this is, this is where I was going to come to this, Jeff. Like I was, I was yeah, I was, I was going to get to this is that in like in my early thirties, I used to build mu I built my own music server, you know, like I built, I bought the, the case, I bought the motherboard, the RAM, the CPU, the power supply. I put it all together. It had like 10 hard drive slots. I put it all together. I installed Linux on it and it sat under my stairs and it, it whirred away like a, like a beast of a machine. Yes. <laughs> and I, I gotta say, it wasn't that I really enjoyed that process. It was just, it was the, it was the most affordable way for me at the time to get that much storage in my house. And that and makes that, sense. That's valid. Right. Important thing. I think this is what you're trying to, you were saying before about your bathroom is, is I had more time than I had money. So yes. I could, you know, my, effectively the same thing, right? So I yes. didn't have a lot of cash, so I, but I could put time into it. So I did like you did with your bathroom. Right. And, Nowadays, I mean, I guess yeah, I could go and get a nook and I could, I don't know, you have to flash something. You have to flash the boot drive, I think, before you can put right. work on it. Something right. fiddly. I just can't be bothered to spend that time. And that's, I've changed. And now I would just, I would rather spend the money on the nicer item, the room nucleus, and then spend my time on something else, like working, because my time now, I'm self-employed. Well, or like you are. walking around Berlin and taking cool photos, you know. Well, I do I that mean, anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, but you know, for me, I've always been a sucker for good industrial design. Me too, I mean, yeah. Years and years and years ago, I, I did a very, very small project for Steve Jobs at Apple. Wow, and okay. I sent him a note. I've got to find the email because I kept it, but I can't find where I kept it. And I sent him a note and I said, you know, I just want you to know, I said, I know you've probably had a million letters about how Macintosh has changed your life, la, 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 la. But I said, you know, I've always appreciated the fact that every chance you've had to cheap out, you've always done the cool thing instead. And I really, I've always enjoyed that. Mm. And I'm a sucker for that stuff. I mean, I just, I love products. And again, I mean, that's that whole thread of hi-fi people where they go, well, I can build it myself. And I'm going, yeah, but I wouldn't want that in my living room. Even if it, <laughs> even if it sounded lovely, yes. I don't want to look at that. And, yeah. and that's okay. And I get that. And I respect that. Mm. It's just, that's not what I want. I would, I would much rather have a Nagra amp in my living room than something I built myself. I, I, you know, Right, so. it's 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 like the Devila stuff. Like I'm talking about yeah. the, the the expert stuff. We've we 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 spoke about this last time, right? But it's I I want one of those in my lounge because they look damn cool. Yes, there's, there's a wow and that's and that's yeah. enough. That that's enough justification for that. I feel if and if I, that's what you love, that's part of your world. That's part of your environment. And mm. I think 
And you tell me if you have this problem as well. I mean, you're you're a writer, you're you're a creative guy, you make content all the time. I think the clutter and the 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 visual discontinuity, I think it affects the creative process myself. I mean, it's 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 easier for me to think in a more zen-like environment. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny you should it's, it's funny you should say that because at the moment, I mean, I'm sat in my lounge room here at the moment, and I'm I'm redoing it. So I've I've unplugged everything, I've pulled all the wires out, I've moved the rack across the room, and there is Jeff, there is shit everywhere, like amps and DACs and all sorts. And the me idea too. is is to kind of get the stuff that I'm not using on any any given day out of the room upstairs into my storage area. And I can look at, I'm going to build some shelves in my, um, I got a hallway at the top of my stairs and I can, so I can pull things out really easily and swap them out. But in my lounge room, I want fewer objects. I want less, yes. just less, less stuff. And if, it's, and if it's there, it needs to look like it's not dominating or cluttering up the place because yeah, I'm not, I mean, I, I you know, I can see why people have piles and piles of gear. You know, I don't dig that myself having, monoblocks on the floor and all that kind of thing doesn't mean you can't enjoy that i'm just saying i like this is why i like active speakers or super integrated amps where everything's all in one is because it's tidy visually and therefore it it, it kind of what's the word it, like you say it's sort of it's calming i think yeah. i mean that's my take on it but you know and again it it gets you to pushing it gets you to playing music faster but again some people enjoy the fiddling Yes. You know, and, and that's the, I think that's the part that's the hardest for a lot of people to wrap their brain around mm. is that for some people, the fiddling is the fun and that's okay. I'm just mm. not that guy. But you I know? think, I mean, but I think you know, this is, you, you get some, some of these fiddler guys, let's call them the, the fiddlers, right? The fiddlers. They'll, they'll look at the nucleus and go, well, there's no way I'm paying that kind of money for that thing where I can be build it myself for less. But it's this is what they don't get is that it's not for them, right? It's, it's for dudes who've got you know like cashed up guys who work fifteen hours a day and they get four hours a week to play music for themselves and they don't want to spend that four hours a week for themselves just building, getting it to work, yeah, or building a knock and putting an OS on it. They'll happily right. spend like doctors and surgeons, or whoever. They'll they'll get the nucleus. They plug the hard drive in, and I've done this. You you, you know you, we've done this right. You power it on. You tell it where your library is. And that is it. It's running, right? right? It's it's like an appliance, right? And and again, yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally with you. And Ooh. it's it's it's, uh, you know, sometimes I'm a journey person, sometimes I'm a destination person, right? And when it when it comes to music, you know, I would much rather. I mean, I tell people all the time. I said, if you're doing computer audio, you're an IT guy. If you're doing turntables. You're a suspension mechanic, you know, because <laughs> you're always fiddling with that. Right. You just have to decide, I think, how much of a fiddler you would like to be right. and adjust your thinking accordingly. That's all. Right. Yeah. A lot, of go a lot of people out there are very shy in coming forward and saying, I don't understand this stuff. I mean, I get a steady trickle of emails of saying, like, John, can you explain the basics and really, my site is not really targeted at those kind of people. I'm, you know, maybe I'll do that down the line, but it's not. That's not really my thing. But there are a lot of people out there who are curious, but they don't get it, even on a basic level of like, how does a USB DAC work? Now, for you and I, that's super simple. But right. For a lot of people, it's not. 
And there's no shame in that, but obviously they're shy. But really, I think the general level of understanding isn't as high as one might think. And that's not to denigrate people or to kind of say that they're dumbasses because they're not. It's just that this stuff is hard and you and I do it all day, every day. And other people have, you know, normal jobs, not freaky jobs that we have. So right. they might not have the time to sort of pour over, I don't know, like DAC settings. I mean, I come back to Windows and I've forgotten how painful setting up a DAC is because you have to install a driver and, oh. I hate it. <laughs> it's much Understood. simpler. And, well, again, you know, I think perhaps what this might be too is for me, the, the, the Windows versus Mac guys have always said, yeah, but you know, you can't customize it and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I'm going, dude, I don't want to customize it. It's a tool. It's a wrench. You know, I, I, I run Word, right. I run Photoshop and I put shit on my website. That's yeah. all I use a computer for. I, I I don't need to get in and and geek out every parameter of my computer to get this, that, or the other thing. Um, right. So that well, doesn't even interest me. You know, I just want it to work. I think that's why I bought this this Surface Book Two this time around because they, as you you know, the, uh, referring back to your letter to Steve Jobs. These guys haven't taken the cheap ass shortcut. And for years I stayed away from Windows um, laptops because they look like awful geeky machines. They look awful. And this Surface line is the first line where I thought, well, this could, Apple could have made this. It looks like an Apple thing. I mean, this the hinge and the, the pull-off touchscreen is super cool. But even the OS looks a lot better than it used to. It really, it looks quite nice now. It's not, I don't like it as much as the Mac, Mac OS, but... Um, it's still not too bad, but so there's that, that fiddly geeky nature of windows machines in the 10 years since I last used one regularly seems to have dissipated somewhat, which I think is a good thing. Yes. It's still there if people want it, but I think pulling all of these things out of their geek ghettos, and it's the same for audio, pull it out because otherwise it stays there sort of hermetically sealed and people look at it and point and they laugh a little bit and they go, that's not for me. It's not appealing right. to a broader audience. So to make it appealing to a broader audience, audio, computers, cameras, whatever, some of it needs to be pulled out of the geek zone and it just needs to work. And it might not have every power feature that, you know, you or I might use, but it's got, you know, it's, it's like that, um, that Fuji X100 series of cameras, you know those, those little mirrorless things? Yeah, oh yeah. Right, so I've got one. Like I'm not super into cameras, Jeff, as you know, but I bought one of those things. I bought it because it looked cool. And I knew it was a decent camera because I read a turn online. It's a pretty good camera, not amazing. But as a starter camera, I thought it was fantastic. It doesn't do everything. It doesn't do as much as my Canon DSLR, but the I love the the, the form of it. I mean, it looks like a little, every time I pull it out of my bag, people say, oh, is that, is that a Leica? No, 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 no it's not Fuji. It's well, and you know what, as, as a really famous, and I'm trying to remember which guy this was, because I used to go to a lot of photography seminars years ago, but it was a really famous photojournalist. He said, the award-winning picture you'll take is with the camera that's in your pocket. Yes, yes. So if the camera's with you all the time, you know, um, it's it's not going to do you much good if Bigfoot <laughs> scampers across the street and your camera's at home up on the desk. Yeah, you know? well, that's why. I mean, my phone is the only. I mean, all the the shots of Berlin that I put up on my Instagram are 
all taken with phones. Nearly, almost all of them, because it's the one I've got with me. I'm not taking my. I'm not even taking my they're little Fuji. They're great photos, dude. They're great photos. I mean, photography to me is photography is about vision. It doesn't matter what tool you use. It's about vision and expressing that vision. Mm. So, you know, there there was a whole thread going on once with a couple of magazine publishers and they were all arguing about, you know, cause now they've all, now the big thing you'll notice a number of them all carry these big hulking DSLRs around to all the hi-fi shows. And mm. I said, you know what? I said, I, I take great. I, I mean, I said, I've shot three covers for tone with the iPhone and I, and I dare you to tell me which ones they are. Really? You, you know? have? Uh, which iPhone did you shoot them with? Um, the seven and the eight. Wow. Let's change this change tack completely, right? I want to talk about um, music discovery, and I want to start with a, a survey that was conducted by Deezer um, of, okay. listeners, of listeners in the UK. I think it was actually a follow-on from a survey conducted by Spotify about three years ago. Because I remember seeing the headlines of this recently, thinking, "Hang on a minute, this is just the same news story that was three years ago, but it's actually." A different survey and basically the, the 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 big headline is that most people stop discovering new music at about 30 years old oh right right yeah right? yeah right so and the peak age for discovering new music is about 24 it, it varies by country but i don't really want to really want to get into that i mean it's just i thought it was interesting that you know one of the quotes from business insider deutschland where i've pulled this article is from and I'm quoting here is like by age 33, it was more likely that they'd listeners never listen to new music again, which is kind of scary, really. But um, the idea is that I think that people by the time they're 30, are, you know, getting married, having kids, you know, uh, overwhelmed by their day job and they don't get time for new music anymore. But I, I think know. it's not so much the um, uh, I, I, it's more, it, it really is the kid thing. It's not the getting married and having a job thing. It's the kid thing. As someone mm. who I know you haven't had children. Mm -hmm. um, I know for me, when we first had our daughter, um, there was about a five year black hole in my life. where <laughs> Seriously, I, I didn't have time for, I mean, dude, there was a whole year I didn't even go to the grocery store and buy a single copy of car and driver magazine for a whole year. Wow. You know, I mean, I didn't listen to any new music. I didn't, I didn't do, I mean, my, my system for the most part collected dust for mm -hmm. about five years. I, wow. I just, I just didn't have one molecule of time, mm. but um, kids, kids ruin your life. They really do. Um, <laughs> you know, but um you know, but anyway, I, I think it really depends on the person, though. You know, I mean, here's here's something for you to ponder. I still listen to I try to listen to as much newer music as I can. The problem is, at my advanced age, it 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 doesn't stick like it used to. OK, my my hard drive had a lot more space on it. Not only did my hard drive have a lot more space on it when I was 24, but I hadn't experienced as much music at that point in my life where now, I mean, the perfect example for me with this is Greta Van Fleet. Okay. 
and I'm going, okay, this is kind of cool, but this sounds like Led Zeppelin. Mm. So this isn't doing anything for me. This isn't ticking a box somewhere in my brain that Led Zeppelin doesn't tick. It's like, I remember seeing a thing on TV um, back when MTV still had people on it um, years ago when, when Marilyn Manson first hit, mm. um, they were interviewing Alice Cooper and he goes, <clears throat> he goes, they go, what do you think of Marilyn Manson? And he goes, well, he dresses kind of weird. He wears a lot of weird makeup. He gets up on stage and does a lot of crazy stuff. And he plays some pretty heavy rock music. He goes, where have I heard that before? And, you know, so, and, and I like Marilyn Manson. I personally, mm-hmm. I think Marilyn Manson and Alice Cooper are pretty different. But regardless, I think you get to a, perhaps you might get to a certain point where I see new music now more almost like watching movies okay Mm. i might see a really interesting film but i might not watch it 10 times i might only watch it once Mm. i mean another another thing that comes to mind from a couple years ago um oh god who was that woman that everybody was crazy about um oh crap um um oh gosh it just fell out of my head um joanna newsome no courtney was it courtney the Australian Courtney Barnett? Yes, Courtney Barnett. And I really liked Courtney Barnett. And to me, I I called it Twitter feed music because it was real. And then I went here and I did this and I did that and blah, 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 and la, la, la. And it was kind of fun. And I thought, this is kind of cool. But I don't find myself reaching for that on a regular. I don't find my – that's a neighborhood I just – don't always go back to Mm. Um, our, our mutual buddy, Kathleen Thomas is always listening to something interesting. You're always listening to something interesting. And one of the, one of the weird things that Rune and title have done is again, back when I was a kid and you went to the record store and there were 10 miles Davis albums in the, in the bin, Mm. you'd go, well, I've only got enough money for one. Maybe if I eat ramen noodles this week, I can buy two or three, but there's still 50 other miles Davis records in the bin. Mm -hmm. And so now what's happened to me with rune and title is I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring new things, not as much as I should, but there's still a whole bunch of back catalog stuff that I never got the chance to listen to that. I'm exploring a bunch of that as well. Mm. So, um, you know, but I, I don't, I don't know my, and, and my data points are everybody I know likes music. So I don't know people that stopped listening to music. They're just, well, it's not, I mean, and I'm, it's not really stopped listening to music. It's stopped discovering new music. So new but that's music. what I mean. Stop discovering new music where they just aren't. Most of the people I know are pretty into music. So, um, you know, I can't, I can't justifiably, I guess, make a judgment on that one. Mm. You know, I, I hear a lot of like indie rock bands, for, for instance, nowadays. And I, when I hear them, I go, this is really cool. And 10 years ago, I would have thought this was the best thing I'd ever heard in my life. But now it's like I've heard it before because I'd heard it 10 years ago by somebody else. So there are these cycles in rock music that kind of go through. And so, yeah, I I mean, everything's being recycled. It's very rare that I hear something that I think is truly and utterly like nothing I've ever heard before. Exactly. And I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man because I remember when I was 20, 21 
And I was playing a spiritualized album at home when I was living with my parents at uni- when I was still at university. And my dad complaining that it was just like psychedelic rock riffs. And I guess what he was saying in his own way was like he's heard it all before back in the 60s and 70s. But for me, because it was that time in my life, it was the first time I'd heard it. It was incredible. And then there's also this thing where, you know, especially between, say, the ages of 15 and 25, when you're, I guess, more impressionable with things in life and not just music, but with everything culturally, you really do kind of, you know, this is where you're finding out who you are very quickly and you're defining yourself by your choices and they define you. And, you know, you're super receptive to new stuff. And I think as you get older, once you've gone through that process, you don't feel the need to kind of define who you are anymore or maybe you're redefining a little bit at the edges but it's not that super you know tumultuous time and therefore you don't feel the need to kind of like discover this band that band blah 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 and just keep going with that because eventually it, it all sounds the same <laughs> it really <laughs> well you know what here's, here's my here's my question for you to take that what you just told me one step further mm. my question is back in your 20s when you were discovering who you were more as a human being, mm-hmm. uh, I th- my theory is that because you were more receptive to everything in your life, because there were so many things in your life that you were experiencing for the first times, mm-hmm. I'm curious if those those bits of music that you listened to back then imprinted more deeply into your brain, into your memory than things now oh, because yes, your, definitely. your sponge yeah. just had less water in it back then I yes mean, that's my yeah you, ha- you have less yeah. mental space to deal with new stuff and life is also i guess it's more serious as you get older and you have more responsibilities and it's just yeah you don't have the time to kind of kick back and go i'm just going to listen to the velvet underground for six hours today and listen to all their stuff right but, you know like and i guess a lot of people go through that in their 20s and 30s and then I don't know whether it continues in your forties. I mean, I'm I'm 46 now. So, and do you know what? I was thinking about this before we started recording. You know, when I stopped discovering new music, Jeff, at an alarm, well, at a fast rate, I stopped discovering new music at a fast rate when I started writing about audio gear. Same thing. Bingo. Right. It just, it just ended up being sort of funneled into the same sort of music, not just because I was using it as audition music, I don't know why, just because my focus shifted to the gear and away a little bit from the music and my discovery process has suffered as a result. Because yes, I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. Right. I think all audiophiles are super guilty of this to varying degrees. And I really i am making such an effort at the moment to kind of listen to new stuff. I discovered an Australian band called Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. And they're like a, a sort of jangle indie pop band that, you know, it's the kind of stuff that we've heard before, but it's different enough that I would play it again. I, I bought the vinyl. Um, there you go. Which means, obviously, means I'm really serious about that band, Jeff. Um, and so, yeah. I, yeah, I, I guess I'm making more of an effort to sort of, I mean, electronic music I find very easy because there's so much coming at me. It's in my Twitter feed all the time. And it's easy to click. And it's all on SoundCloud. So I punch it into SoundCloud and then I Chromecast that across to the Unity Atom or a Chromecast. Easy, easy, easy. But there isn't like a SoundCloud for indie rock. I mean, you can play Spotify. This is interesting, actually. 
I've got, I've got some theories about this. You know, like Spotify, there's also there's the paralysis of choice is the big problem with streaming services, right? Boy, that's my catchphrase for the day. Paralysis of choice. Right. I love that. Yeah. I mean, somebody actually, it's not that's my- That's a book, dude. No, that's it, a book. No, it is a book. It's, it's not my I'm phrase. Serious. I'm not kidding. No, it is a book. Somebody wrote a book called the, it's called, oh, hang on a minute. I forget. It's something paradox. The choice paradox, something like that. Anyway. So you have so much music, right? So let's say you click, um, you play a song you know, and you click radio on Spotify, which plays that song and then it plays a whole bunch of other music like it. Spotify's main interest is not to broaden your music horizons, it's to keep you listening. So, yes. So I think that it's not gonna take a risk and play this song or this song, because then you'll pause and you'll quit and you're going to do something else. I think it's more likely to play stuff you already know, and it will like let's say you play Oasis, it'll go go and play The Verb, and then spiritualize them, and then maybe something a bit newer, but it won't take the risk that that a human being would, because it's an algorithm designed to keep you keep you engaged with their platform, right? And their share price depends upon that, because you know the more listener minutes, I guess. I don't know, the more advertising they get, especially from free users, they get more exposed to more adverts. But I guess, I think, and I think this is a thing, actually, I, I haven't got any research on this, but I remember reading about this, is is streaming streaming music is funneling us into an ever-decreasing um, pool of music. We're listening to more of the same stuff more often than we were maybe a while back. Now, the problem is, is I can't tell because I'm me at my age. I'm not me at 36 or 26. So I've got nothing to base this on personally. And I know the plural of anecdote is not data, but I think that streaming makes us listen to more of the same stuff. And it's here's a question. Okay. You go, you go, you go. Yep. Yep. Again, playing to everything you just said, Mm -hmm. think about when you were 20 Mm -hmm. When you were 20, let's see, when would that have been? That would have been late 90s, right? Mid 90s? Late uh, 20, I was uh, 92. Okay. So back then, when there was no streaming music, and well, really, there wasn't much internet back then either. Yeah, it was almost nothing. Yeah. Okay. So you found, if, tell me if I'm right or wrong, you Mm. found about, you found out about, you discovered new music either from, checking out a band somewhere, mm. talking to your friends, or reading a paper music magazine, correct? Yeah. Are you are you bashing? Sorry, Jeff, are you bashing something with your hand? Or oh, you... I'm sorry. I, I was bashing the, the desk. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, with my finger. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I was making a point. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so you be, because the lead time, let's, let's just say, for example, we both like Bowie. Okay, mm, yes. I know we both like Bowie. So you re- back then, and even earlier, much more so even back in when I was that age, mm. you, you know, the music magazines got those promos weeks, sometimes months in advance. Yeah. So there was a there was a certain level of anticipation when you read whatever music journalists work you liked in whatever magazine, you read that article about that new Bowie album, and you thought, I have to get that. I have to get that. I have to get that. Mm. So there was some, there was some time, there was some anticipation there. Whereas now with all the streaming, there's no anticipation anymore. 
So you're just changing channels on the on the cable box. And I, I'm curious if that also diminishes that music's ability to imprint upon you. I think you, you've hit on a really interesting point, actually, because I really miss that level of anticipation. That yes. was something I really enjoyed. It was immensely frustrating because you would wait for release day and then you would go and buy it. So in like to come, like I, when I was 20 and 92, I was just, well, I was in the middle of university and I would discover music, yeah, through a whole bunch of friends I'd made at university, but also from British magazines. And they were um, Melody Maker, Enemy, and also Sounds, which I think folded in 94. Melody Maker is, sorry, Enemy has only just folded, and thank God it was just becoming an abomination. And they were weekly magazines, but there were also monthlies. And British listeners will know some of these. The main, the main one actually is still going. It's Q Magazine. Well, actually, no, that wasn't the main one I really dug. The main one I dug I was... I used to read Mojo all the time. Right, so that started, I think, just after I finished at uni. Um, okay. That's still going. But there was there were two magazines which I, that I really loved, and that was Select, which is a strange name looking back for a music magazine, and another one called Vox. And they both folded at various times, I think, during the, maybe the late 90s. So it was mainly magazine-driven, friends-driven, posters obviously gigs and things like that. And it was, I don't want to, I'm going to use the word organic. It was much more organic. Now there is no anticipation for an album. There's none because it's just announced and then it's out. Like Radiohead have kind of redefined this because they did that within Rainbows and it came out a week later. And I think that, was it King of Limbs came out also with a week's notice. There was no radio, new Radiohead album. And then all of a sudden there was one coming out in seven days time. And I think it was to stop this level of piracy because a lot of journalists that got advanced copies, you know, they would burn them for their mates. But when the internet and Napster came along, all it took was one of their mates to rip it and put it on Kazar or Soulseek and it was game over. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I think in, in many ways, <laughs> I hate to sound like a grumpy old man, but the internet has ruined that level of anticipation because things were slower. And, you know, I remember when, for example, The Thos Dusk came out in 93, and it was their first album since Mind Bomb in 80, 88, 89. Like, this was a bit, for me, this was a, an enormous deal. And it's funny, actually, I, I, I scored a promo, I had to buy it, but it was a promo being sold at a, a record fair at my university. But, and I got it a week before official release. I was beside myself with excitement, not just because I got the new album, but because I got it before anybody else. Um, exactly. And that was that was just a, an amazing. See, I've remembered it. it was an amazing experience. Um, well, and and I think I mean again, I, and I and and I really don't think you're being a grumpy old man. I think it's just <laughs> maybe uh, it, you know it's just this is the thing that I mean again, dude. Wait till you're. 15 years older. I mean, it, <laughs> it's trying to, it's trying to assimilate all this stuff. And it's trying to, at least for me, it's trying to keep perspective on it, mm. you know, but there's, there's certain things that are disposable and there's certain things I think that require more of your attention. Mm. And unfortunately, because we're bombarded with so much more than we were yeah. back then, yeah, you know, um, I, I think I think it's tough for everybody um, to put it in perspective. I mean, I would I would I would even I'm even going to stick my neck out here and 
you know, I would be very curious to sit down and talk to a bunch of 20-somethings and just ask them. And, and I, I, I would be curious to see if they're as excited about the new music they're listening to as we were about the new music we were listening to. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think I, I would hope they would be. But I know that music is really not, I don't know whether it's the core of people's lives as it once was. Hard to tell because I'm not 23 anymore. But I mean, live music, I think, is exceptionally exciting for many people because it's it's a big social event. They get to hang out with their mates and there's a band playing. And also it's the, and I've said this before, it's their only exposure to big sound because at home yes. they've got crappy little speakers and crappy earphones, most people, right? Yeah. So that, that whole experience is huge. I don't know whether like listening to, you know, the new, I don't know, I'm trying to think of new Arctic Monkeys album on the train going to work is, <laughs> I don't know how, how exciting that is for many people anymore because there's no anticipation. It comes out, you go, oh yeah, it's kind of cool. And I listen to that. And then there's something the next week and you just kind of move through these things and you talk with your mates to go, have you heard that? And you heard that, but there's no sort of, I mean, this is, I think, why people really love vinyl, because there is a pride of ownership and there isn't obviously that with streaming at all. And so, you know, when you say you've got it on vinyl, you're not actually saying necessarily that I I bought the vinyl because it sounds better. It's because, no, I, I like this enough that I put 20, 25 bucks behind it, which would buy me a whole bunch of other stuff right now. But I went, no, I want this. This means a lot to me. I want to own it so no one can take it away from me. So the, well, the thing that's been odd for me is I, I know Pam's son mm. buys a lot of vinyl, but he doesn't listen to any of it. He just collects it. I, I know people like that. I, this, is, this is where I think I know people love to think that this vinyl revival is all about sound quality. I beg to differ, mainly because, I agree. Mainly because the turntables that people are using are a piece of shit. They think, well, you, right. you play an MP3 through your hi-fi system, it's gonna actually probably going to sound better than your turntable. But yes. you know, you're buying it because it's a process and for all the many reasons that have been done to death a million times people buy it and they i think they like owning stuff i've said this before as well people people like, like to collect yeah they like collecting like yes collecting. they do and this is yeah. like, it's expensive you know so but i think this is why that you don't get so many people belly aching about the quality of pressings that aren't audiophiles because no one really cares about the sound quality of their records apart from grump, no. grumpy old dudes like you and me they just have their their <laughs> vinyls. Yes. <laughs> oh, their vinyls. Oh, when I read that, oh my god, it just that one sends me straight up the <laughs> that that I I have to really shut that off when they talk about their vinyls. You know. So here's an here's an yeah. interesting story, right? And I read this the other day, and this is about music discovery and and being alive at a certain time. So this week. Um, EMI have announced the latest David Bowie box set. And it's a box set of his 80s output, which we all know was, to put it mildly, not his his creative um, best. I mean, you had Let's Dance, which was pretty good. Tonight, which is kind of ordinary, apart from Loving the Alien and Blue Jean and maybe, maybe Dancing with the Big Boys, but that was about it. And then you had... Never Let Me Down, which is probably the worst album David Bowie has ever made. I, I can't think of anything worse than that. Maybe Hours, maybe. But anyway, Never Let Me Down was, you know, it was widely regarded as, as a real stinker. So much so yes. that he even, I think in, in a compilation in 2008 called I Select, he wrote 
they put a new mix of Time Will Crawl on there. And he, I think he wrote Ode to make that album again. And I think even at the time, I think, yeah, it's about 10 years after that album, also 10 years after that album coming out, he took a track off. So I think it was an 11-track album to start with, 10 tracks now. I think he took off Too Dizzy. Or anyway, I'm going off the, I'm going off my path here. Yeah, I'm looking at this now. There's, there's nothing on this that I'd buy. Right. Well, they've redone Never Let Me Down. They've re, <laughs> they've remixed it. There's nothing I would buy either. I mean, yeah. I the thing is, I think Loving the Alien is one of the best songs he ever he's ever done. But it's that box set. It's not great. But anyway, this is not the point of my story. The point of my story is that there's a website called Super Deluxe Edition. And it's run by a British guy called Paul Sinclair. And it's just a website about super deluxe reissues of music from the past and also new music as well. So Paul Weller's new album is coming out as a deluxe edition with box, you know, with bonus tracks. But I want the first Paul Weller. Me record. too. Anyway, so Paul Sinclair wrote this um, little editorial this week about this new Bowie box set. And he, he made this really interesting point. He said, even though this was probably the worst music Bowie ever made, it was the it was the decade in which I listened to when I first discovered Bowie, and in which he didn't actually say it this way, but I think this is what he meant. It unfolded in real time before me. So when you, I mean, and I could really identify this because I'm ashamed. No, to, that makes perfect sense. I'm ashamed. That to, makes perfect sense. Right. So I'm ashamed to admit that Never Let Me Down was the first. Bowie album that I was really exposed to. He was on the tube. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to apologize no. for any of that. <laughs> no, but like, no, seriously. No, I don't need to justify anything more for me than ever. No, by I'm, any more than saying I like it because I like it. That's no, 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 no. But anyway, but I think it's a bit well, not embarrassing. But anyway, it's not. I wish. And this is when I wish I was. I wish I were older because I would have. I basically I would have discovered low in real time. So when Low came yes. out, you know, when, you, when you're discovering that as it unfolded, that would have been a fairly revolutionary experience. But, and it was. It right. totally was. But the point of Paul Sinclair's article was like, he said, I discovered Bowie through Never Let Me Down. And then I went back to listen to all of his 70s stuff. But when I listened to Low, I knew that Heroes and Lodger had come after it. So I knew what was coming when I was listening to these albums in sequence or whatever. So I didn't live through it. Therefore, I, I didn't really get the full experience of that particular time. And yet I did with the 80s. So, you know, Time time, uh, time Will Crawl. Never Let Me Down was this, the album that I first discovered Bowie. And after that, I think it was Tin Machine, wasn't it? He went off and did Tin Machine. But then... Well, he did... Um, after that, he did... Well, he did quite a few other things. Well, no. after Yeah, after Never Let Me Down, he did... I'm looking at it now. He did Tin Machine 1 and 2, yeah. which when those came out in real time, I did not enjoy those records. But going back to them, now I kind of like them. Right. And the record after that, Black Tie, Black Tie White Noise, that's a real you love it or hate it, but I really liked that record a lot. I like bits of it, but like think the title track was awful. Um, yeah. yeah. Jump they say is pretty good, but it was, I mean, it was, it was billed as, yeah. I, like, I remember living through this as well. Like, I was at university and there, there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, build up with that release and it was going to be this kind of album and more personal. And I, I'd really tried, to, I almost forced myself to get into it. I just couldn't. 
just couldn't get into it somehow. And that was out of print for many years, actually, after after the um, yeah, after about the year two thousand, that, that disappeared. It only came back a while ago. But I would, I, you know, I judge in a Bowie album if I like it or not, whether I buy it on vinyl. So Black Tie White Noise, I don't own on vinyl. Neither do I own Hours. Um, there's another one as well. I can't remember which one it is that I don't own. Labyrinth Soundtrack, dreadful. <laughs> like yeah. it's just, you know, but I think, I think this is an important point that Paul Sinclair made about discovering artists at the time you kind of live when you live through this stuff like i lived through the Britpop era and it was i gotta say it was fucking amazing like the the hot the uk was a great place to be in the in the, in the sort of early and mid and late 90s because it really felt like things were changing we switched over from a conservative to a labor government and it felt like music was part of the force that caused that and that was a really cool time to live through it. And looking back now, if you were discovering Oasis, you might kind of go, it's all right. I don't really know what the fuss is about, you know, because not because you've necessarily heard it before, but because it's, well, I don't know, because it, it's it's removed from its cultural and temporal contexts. You know, it's not 95 anymore. It's 2018. Right. And you're listening to this album that was made in 95. And to me, it feels like yesterday, but to most people, it's like, this is this is granddad music. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's funny <laughs> because the other day I was switching through the channels in the car and I thought, oh, my God, David Bowie went from being the most avant-garde person in the world in 1974 to being on the classic rock channel now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I think everybody, that all those elder statesmen in the 80s, they all had... Like Bob Dylan tanked in the 80s, well, made some of his worst music in the 80s. So did Neil Young. Tom Waits did not. He was actually, he, that's when he went weird, which was a really good time for him. Bowie's 80s output was dreadful. So all the big names in the 80s, I don't know whether it was the drugs or the amount of money. I mean, it was the hair and the shoulder pads. I'm, I'm, a, I'm attesting it to that. <laughs> You were there. I was. Uh, I was there. I but was I was... there. You know. I, you know what, dude? I'm the same boring guy I always was. You know. I. You know. <laughs> I wore t-shirts and blue jeans and boat shoes. You know. It's. I, I've never been a fashionable human being ever. So you know. It's. Uh, well, I've seen that that photo you put on Facebook of that. Was it bright yellow or bright orange jacket? My God, that that nearly took my face off. I had to put my sunglasses on to look at that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but ever since I was a little kid, that bright lime yellowy green has always been my favorite color. That Riga lime green. Okay. I've, I've always yeah. I've always loved that. When I was back in the very early 80s, I was at the Riga dealer buying a P3. Mm-hmm. And Roy Gandy told me that back then he used to put one lime green one in the box with the orders just to see if dealers were paying attention. <laughs> and I love that guy. And, you know, I remember because I was in the dealer and Mm. the guy that sold me my very first high-end hi-fi system, John Spelt, who is now with um, Audio Fidelis in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I've been buying hi-fi from John for, gosh, 40 years, okay? Mm. 35 years. And I was in his shop and he was unboxing P3s Mm -hmm. or planar threes, as they were called back then. Yeah. And he pulled it out of the box and he said... Look at this turntable. He said, what idiot would buy a turntable this color? I said, hey, I'm that idiot. I'll take it. And, uh, you 
know, and so I, I mean, that's that's always been my uh, thing. So you know, whatever. And uh, all right, that, that's a good that's a good segue into this last bit that I want to talk about. Okay, which, which is the um, the global music report um, for two thousand. Well, it's the twenty eighteen, but it's, it's for for twenty seventeen's figures, right? Okay. And before I get to this, like I, I guess I was thinking about what you know this this recently is that in our world jeff in our audiophile world lots of us talk about vinyl right like you see it on facebook you go to shows and there's there's like lots of vinyl stalls there's turntables pretty much everywhere and i guess even in the high street you're very attuned to which stores selling records and we've noticed records come back into mainstream stores even like urban outfitters and things like that right so we know that this there's this vinyl revival taking place the mainstream media if they write about hi-fi at all it's generally about that right it seems to be this story that refuses to die and so it looks like to us it looks like vinyl is probably the not the biggest thing in the world but it's a big big thing right Bigger than we ever thought it would be, I think, even five years ago. Agreed, right? Definitely agreed on that in terms of the change. But what was really striking from reading this, this basically this IFPI report about music revenues generated in, across the world in 2017 is that it, it says that globally revenues from vinyl sales grew by 22.3%, which is a big deal, Right. So you think, okay, it's growing and growing and growing. But then the next number really made me sort of sit up and pay attention because the percentage of revenue generated by vinyl sales last year, get this, 3.7. Interesting. Right? So we think that vinyl is a big deal, but in the grand scheme of all music consumed in the world by everybody, 3.7%. Well, not only that, take it one step further. Talk to the average person on the street about vinyl and they'll say, wow, they still make records? It happens to me all the time with my postman or, you know, my UPS guys. Or yeah. my, or my, I have a concierge in my building because I'm fancy like that. And Nice. Yeah. And so these, when I first started getting these packages, they're like, what's in these boxes you keep getting? I said, it's vinyl records, shell pattern. Drugs. They were like, yeah, yeah. I go, really? Like they still make those? And that used to happen in Australia. Really? But I think the 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 lesson I took from this, reading this figure and thinking about our audiophile bubble, this geeky ghetto that we live in, is that just because it's big for us doesn't mean it's big news for everybody else. No, agreed. Right. Yeah, agreed. And I think totally. it's important that we maintain perspective on really what's going on outside of our world, especially if we want to grow our, I don't want to call it a community, although it is a community, but well, let's use the word community. They grow the, the audiophile world or the, the space or basically just make it bigger. Then we need to be very aware of what people are into and people are into streaming. Like, I know that's an idiotic thing to say, but according to survey, digital revenues went up by almost 20% last year but streaming went up 41%. It's only that the digital revenue only went up by 20% because because downloads are tanking harder than the Titanic. They went down 20%. So, you know, I think it's interesting that downloads are really slowly going away, as are CDs. I don't want to get into the CD thing because I've I've talked about this before on this podcast, but um, 
streaming is mega news. And it's, well, think about it. It's like everything you've been talking about for the last hour. Yeah. For the most part, streaming is a less fiddly way to get music. Yeah. Okay. You don't, yeah. you, you know, and part of it is, again, I think with every, with so many people leading an ever time crunched, time crunched life, mm. you know, you don't necessarily, just like you said, you don't have six hours to sit around and listen to, you know, um, what were you saying uh, to six hours to listen to well, just, I mean, some, Underground yeah, or, or whatever. Yeah, or just I anything. Mean, yeah. Not only that, you don't necessarily have two or three or four or six hours to just hang out at the record store anymore like you used to at one point in your life if you were mm. someone who did that. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, the traffic to get where I live to downtown Portland in the last five years has gotten nearly, I mean, we've got almost Los Angeles type traffic really? now wow. during the day. Mm -hmm. So if on a Saturday, especially if I were going to go to the record store on a Saturday, I live 12 miles from, you went to Music Millennium when you were here, didn't you? I went to every store that was in Portland. Okay. Yeah, we, I think you and I went yeah. to, was that I the think one? we did go to Music Millennium. Too. Okay. It's on the hill. Um, on the, on the yeah. hill, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Yes, yeah. now, Music Millennium is 12 miles from my house, mm -hmm. okay? Um, on an average day, if it doesn't take me an hour and a half to get there, it will definitely take me an hour and a half to get back because of the traffic, because you can almost never beat the traffic in both directions going to Portland and back. So... You know, when I can call somebody like Music Direct and I can get that new record delivered to my door two days later, there's not a lot of motivation to take. I mean, I would, it's not that I wouldn't love to spend three hours in the record store, but if it's, if the round trip's going to take me three hours, then I don't have three hours to spend in the record store. Right. Yeah. And, well, but I think it's more than that because when you, like, when you were younger, like, you could, you'd spend three, three hours in the record store, but that would be, that would be preceded by two hours on the bus and then maybe three hours in the pub afterwards. And then you'd make a whole, it would be the whole day. And I just, right. you can make a day of it. Right. And now I don't think, I don't, I don't know whether young, well, young people, the kids, I don't know whether people do that anymore. I, I just don't think it's, it's, it, I mean, the record store is obviously no way the, the sort of the social hub that it once was. It, well, apart from maybe Amoeba is a bit like that, but it's probably, that, but maybe it's probably a bit too big to be a bit like that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, well, again, I just, I just, all I chalk it up to is, is, you know, again, when I was a kid, there just weren't as many choices. Mm -hmm. And now there's just, I mean, there's just so much cool shit to do, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. who can, who can pack it all in? And so, I mean, um, I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Well, yeah. Another thing I'm embarrassed to admit, right. Is that there is a, there's a big bookstore up the road from my house it's about 10 minute walk up the road here it's called dusman and it has an enormous vinyl selection and it's actually berlin's biggest independent record store and it, it's it's super busy and it's got a, a, has a very good vinyl selection actually and occasionally i buy stuff from there but one time and maybe a lot of people will relate to this you know you get you buy a record you get it home you find it's either scratched or it's noisy or it's warped or whatever, and you take it back. And the problem with independent stores is they'll hem and they'll haw 
about taking the return and you giving know you why? Because they're on small margins. Well, no, because the record companies mm. in the old days, it was like buying books. I used to work at a B Dalton oh, bookstore. I, yeah, I know why. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. And they the publisher would take the books back that don't sell. Right. They don't do that anymore. I, so well hang on. Take, I, I think they do, but for only for only for record store day they they don't do it. Right. Well, that's not what they've told me. Oh, they've okay. told me that you don't get to return the stuff anymore. So now you have this, oh, shit. this you know, you have this $35 album that cost you $29 to put on the shelf. Yeah. Kid brings it back or geeky audio file brings it back because it's got one pop in it. You give him his money back. You're eating that. Sure. I mean, this is, this is the embarrassing part of this story is I buy a lot of vinyl from Amazon because their return policy is no questions asked. We'll send you a new one. We'll send you a refund, whatever you want. And this is how they're eating the small guy. And it is because, yeah, it's a pain to spend. Like I spent almost $50 on a suede double LP and from this store at the road, Dustman, and it's noisy as hell. And I know that I'm going to have like real problems swapping out. So I'm just, I'm just going to live, have to live with it. But it, well, it's a pain. I mean, and I know that they're being by the, I won't say the record labels. I think it must be the distributors that. It's distribution. Yeah, right. I'm sure it's distribution. But again, because they're not pressing, I mean, they're not pressing 45 million copies of Eagles greatest hits anymore. Right. You know, most records are five to 10,000 on a good day. Yeah. I mean, the guys at Ofi told me once, they said if they sell 5,000 copies of an album, that's a home run for them. They said right. the average record is about twelve to 1,500 copies, but they usually have to press five because that's what licensing is for. So, uh, you know, okay. so it's, it's a, you know, so they're, I mean, you know, somebody like MoFi, they're probably covering a million dollars worth of vinyl just sitting on the shelf waiting for somebody to buy. Mm. I mean, that's a tremendous commitment. You know, it's what, so they, know, they spend a million bucks to have a whole bunch pressed. They put them on the shelf and they just, they drip sell them over time. I thought those things sold out very quickly. Some do, some right. don't. Right. I mean, so for, for every, for every sixties rock or jazz warhorse mm. that does sell out right away, there's 20 other things that don't like, I the, mean, I've, mm. sorry, I was yeah, saying, like the pixies. No, go ahead. I mean, it's, but that's the truth. I mean, they're, I mean, the last time I went to Music Direct, they have a ton of stuff on the shelf. Really? So okay. They, they've they've made a huge, and I and I've I I haven't been to Chad's in a long time, but for him it was the same way too. I mean, it's it's he's got a, you know, these guys are shelving a lot of inventory just so that you know we can all call and get it because usually when they at least the way it's been explained to me that if you have to come back for a repress. Mm -hmm. It's more work. It's more money. Um, you know, and again, let's just say hypothetically, you press 5,000 copies and everybody's going, we want more, we want more, we want more. So you press another 5,000 and you sell 200 more and the other 4,800 <laughs> sit on the shelf. Right. 
And my my favorite example of that is when everybody wanted me to print tone. Oh yeah, it should be in print. It should be in print. It oh, should be in print. Yeah. yeah. And then guess what? Nobody bought it. You know. So <laughs> no, it's it's actually right. People will make a big noise about what they want, and then when they're, when they're asked to put their money behind their opinion, they just kind of shuffle away awkwardly. Yeah. Yes. This is yeah. You you can't trust anecdotal. Um, calls for this and that it has to be like there's um there was a uh, a record label i can't you'll have to forgive me i've forgotten the name of the label maybe you know what it is what they do is they suggest three albums that are going to be potentially remastered repressed to vinyl then re-released and people get to vote on which one they want so the one i there was one that came up recently it was it was a lunar compilation so dean wareham who used to be in galaxy 500 is now in a band called Luna. And it was just a compilation of their B-sides, awesome cover versions. Like absolutely, they did an amazing version of Neon Lights by Kraftwerk. They do an amazing version of Talking Heads is Thank You for Sending Me an Angel. Great okay. compilation. It's been out of print for years. Anyway, this label, it was one of the three options that you could, the users could vote on for, we're going to do this one. And the Luna one won the vote. So I plunked down my 50 bucks to order that. And then that's going to be, remastered and then repressed and then sent out to me. I love that because that gauges demand properly. It's not like, oh, we're gonna take a punt on this and hope it sells. They've got right, some right. they've they've they're leveraging the internet to work out where the demand really is by playing it off two other records. Because they may think, well, oh, it's obviously going to be Luna, but we we should check this and put two others up. I can't remember what the other ones were. Um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I know it's a great idea. I can't I I'm yeah I need to look up the name of the um, the label that does that, and then maybe I'll put it in the in the comment section beneath the the notes on this podcast because that's important to find out who that is. But that's that's I think that's a great way of the internet and vinyl pressing colliding in a harmonious way. And so you, I mean, <laughs> I think it's if it arrives scratched or warped or with like one pop in it, it's going to go back. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> anyway, here here. You know, yeah. and well, anyway, hey, I just got notified that I have a huge pallet of something in my driveway. So let's let's we, wrap it up. Let's wind this one up. So that's a wrap on this, the eighth Darko Audio podcast. You've been listening to me, John Darko, and Tone Audio's Jeff Dore. 